Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. After so much anticipation, it's done and it is historic. Joe Biden has picked California Senator Kamala Harris to be his vice presidential running mate. It's the first time ever that a woman of color will be on a major party presidential ticket and the first time that a California Democrat will also be at the top of such a ticket. Joining us to talk about Harris is KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer. Scott, There was a lot of conversation about Harris when she was running for the presidency, more conversation in the run-up to Biden picking her as his running mate. What more is there to say about her? This is a historic pick. She is the first California Democrat ever to be at the top of a ticket of a major party. She's African-American. She's Asian-American. Her dad was from Jamaica. Her mother uh, was from India. Uh, She is somebody who, you know, if uh, the ticket wins, will be the first woman elected vice president. That's a big deal. And I don't think we should just uh, move past that too quickly. How do you think her career as a prosecutor in the Bay Area shaped her? And what kinds of issues is it going to create for her to confront as she looks forward to the general election campaign? You know, it's so funny because in 1984, the Democrats held their national convention here. They nominated uh, Mondale along with Geraldine Ferraro, another uh, historic vice presidential choice. And out of that convention came the phrase San Francisco Democrats, and it was a pejorative. Mm. Uh, And so now you have a San Francisco Democrat uh, at the top of a ticket, and it's going to be really interesting. You know, when she became district attorney, in San Francisco. She ran as somebody opposed to the death penalty. And within three or four months, a police officer was shot and killed, and she declined to seek the death penalty, as she had promised. But it really caused a huge blowback from Senator Dianne Feinstein and others. And I think that moment really, um, I don't want to say scarred her, but it made a big impact on her. And she sort of tacked to the middle more when she was attorney general. Um, And I think there's criticism of her from the left in the Democratic Party that she wasn't really the progressive prosecutor that she portrayed herself as when she ran for president. She was slow to support the legalization of marijuana, for example. She was slow to support independent investigations of police shootings by the attorney general when she was AG. So, you know, I think it has shaped her, but not necessarily in the ways that you might expect when you think about San Francisco Democrats. You've talked to her many times. You've interviewed her many times, I'm sure. What do you make of her just personally, one-on-one, when the microphone's off? She is incredibly warm, funny, and engaging. Uh, And I think part of what hurt her presidential run is that not all that came through. She seemed to be somebody who people wondered what her core convictions were. She seemed to be somebody who, you know, wanted to have poll-tested positions on things. And that may be true uh, to a certain extent. She was cautious. But as a person, as a human being, she is she's very warm. She does retail politics really well. She laughs easily. Um, and I think the visual of that ticket with a 77-year-old Joe Biden and a 55-year-old 
uh, part Asian American, part black Californian is going to really, I think, uh, you know, excite a lot of people, at least in the Democratic Party. And finally, Scott, uh, what happens with her U.S. Senate seat if she does get elected? Governor Gavin Newsom would get to replace her uh, with his choice. It could be him. He could do it. He could appoint himself to replace her, given the way things are going in California these days. I wouldn't be surprised if he did that. But there will be a lot of Democrats. Uh, Some of the names mentioned, Secretary of State Alex Padilla, Uh, The Attorney General, Javier Becerra, uh, Eric Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles, Adam Schiff, uh, the uh, congressman down in Los Angeles. So there is no shortage of Democrats who will be lined up um, hoping to replace Kamala Harris in the U.S. Senate if the Biden-Harris ticket wins. All right. That is KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer. Scott, thanks so much. You're welcome. And Harris will appear later today with Joe Biden in Delaware. Then the two get to work on the money side of the campaign, appearing at a virtual grassroots fundraiser this evening. Harris's selection comes as Californians are increasingly concerned about race relations in the state and supportive of the Black Lives Matter movement. That's according to a new survey out this week from the Berkeley Institute of Governmental Studies. KQED politics reporter Guy Marzarotti has more. Ten years ago, just 14 percent of registered voters in California said they were extremely concerned about race relations. Now, nearly half of voters share that level of concern, and wide majorities believe black Californians are more likely than white Californians to face violence from police. Support for the Black Lives Matter movement comes with a huge partisan divide. 62% of Democrats say they have a very favorable view of the movement compared to just 6% of Republicans. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarotti. Let's turn from diversity in politics to diversity in business. In the wake of calls to recognize and fight systemic racism in American institutions, there's growing evidence companies want to do more to add people of color to corporate boards of directors. The California Report's Lily Jamali has more. Until now, the public push for board diversity has mostly centered on gender, and California had something to do with that, passing a gender quota for companies based here two years ago. White women still hold just 18 percent of all board seats at Fortune 500 companies. By contrast, African Americans, male or female, hold just half that. And it's worse for Latinos and Asian Americans. But change may be coming. You have a generation of customers and employees that care and seek to be voting with their actions. That's Sukinder Singh Cassidy, co-founder of The Board List, a Bay Area-based service that matches companies with potential female board members. Monday, it announced it'll start including underrepresented minorities of all genders. This after a dramatic spike in requests for candidates of color. I think it's pretty significant. Now, obviously, what everyone wants to know, ourselves included, is, you know, that this isn't just a flash in the pan issue. Cassidy suspects it's not, but Cal State LA professor Arjun Mitra, who researches board diversity, says the outcomes depend on how new divorce board members are treated. Encourage them to take part, ask them to share their opinions, and at the same time, create a safe space for them so that they can freely express their opinions without fear of being rebuked. So that's very important. Because his research shows more diversity can come with more scrutiny once those candidates take their seats at the board table. For the California Report, I'm Lily Jamali. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. 
fulfill his oath, or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts. As a way to help slow the spread of the coronavirus, healthcare giant Kaiser Permanente is getting into contact tracing, investing $63 million in the effort. KQED's health correspondent April Domboski has more. California has struggled to build a robust core of contact tracers, with some counties unable to keep up with the pace of new infections. Now Kaiser is hiring its own. So a person who tests positive for the virus in a Kaiser clinic will be connected to a Kaiser contact tracer right away. And we think that immediate handoff will make contact tracing more effective because there won't be a gap in time. Mary Pittman is the CEO of the nonprofit Public Health Institute, which will recruit and hire the tracers. She says it's in Kaiser's interest to protect its members and the community from getting sick. The virus doesn't know boundaries. It doesn't know health plan cards. Pittman says they will focus on recruiting a diverse, multilingual workforce who can connect with the communities of color that are most impacted by the virus. Their first recruits will be out-of-work bartenders and hairstylists, people who are easy to talk to and themselves could benefit from the work right now. We want to take people who can best relate to the hardest-hit populations. The new tracers will be deployed at Kaiser locations throughout the state, including the Central Valley. And since they won't be tied to particular county health departments, they'll be able to follow the virus when hotspots shift to other counties. For The California Report, I'm April Domboski. And news from the intersection of geology and technology. Millions of Android smartphone users in California will now receive automatic alerts from an earthquake early warning system. KQED science reporter Kevin Stark explains. Bay Area tech giant Google announced that earthquake warnings are now fully integrated with its operating system. That's roughly one-third of all the state's smartphones. That means phone users could hear a warning blaring before shaking from a major earthquake begins, giving them a few moments to protect themselves. Google also announced that Android devices are detecting earthquakes all around the world. The phones have tiny accelerometers that pick up seismic activity. That information will show up for users possibly minutes before official data from USGS and others. For the California Report, I'm Kevin Stark. A new state law was supposed to de-escalate tensions over charter schools, and the L.A. Unified School Board narrowly approved a plan yesterday to implement the new law. But there's now concern this new policy might actually escalate the charter school debate in the district with the most charter schools in California. KPCC's Kyle Stokes reports. 
If you want to open a new charter school, you need permission from a local school board. And the new state law gave boards more freedom to deny that permission to new charters. California Charter Schools Association President Mirna Castrejon says it was supposed to be a compromise that would make it easier for existing schools to stay open. But Castrejon says LAUSD's new policy for implementing this new law could give charter opponents another arrow in their quiver to shut down public charter schools, whether existing or new. LAUSD board member Jackie Goldberg says that's not fair. Their view is we like the old system. Anything you're doing to change the old system is wrong. Goldberg says the Charter Association's concerns stem from features of the new law and not from LAUSD overreach. For the California Report, I'm Kyle Stokes in Los Angeles. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, August 12th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from the California Earthquake Authority, urging Californians to prepare to survive and recover from the next damaging earthquake. Learn more at earthquakeauthority.com. The California Healthcare Foundation acknowledging the vital work of local public health departments to keep Californians safe during the pandemic. On the web at chcf.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.